Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. It is Tuesday. No, it's Monday, actually, Richie, but we will be releasing this on Wednesday. Some small news and notes today. I don't think we will spend as much time as we did last week, but we do have some fun ones, including a very, very touted prospect. So let's get you on in here. What's going on, bud? Hey, how's it going? Coming off uh, the Super Bowl. Um, I know you got lots of sleep for that, and I I enjoyed it. I wanted the 49ers to win, but had a feeling that the Chiefs were going to win it. So um, what are you going to do? Going for a three-peat now, I guess. It's different for both of us. The 49er fans out here on the West Coast are, they're horrible to deal with. Um, And I've had conversations all week with 49er fans about, you know, why I dislike the 49ers and told them outright it's because of the fan base. And usually it's not the ones I'm speaking to. It's the ones that are so obnoxious that they're throwing a metal chair through their television in a backyard watching party. For those of you that have seen that video, that is exactly what I'm speaking about. And uh, I'm ecstatic that they lost. I cannot wait to interact with those people over the next 12 months and just talk shit because it sucks for the 49ers players. It sucks for the fans that are loyal fans and are good fans. But the fan base has become extremely toxic over the last 10 years. And you don't have a Super Bowl victory to back it up. So um, I'm ecstatic. Great job for Patrick Mahomes. And uh, just love to see Kyle Shanahan in absolute you know, sadness. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I wanted the 49ers one because I like Brock Purdy's story. Mr. Relevant coming back. Everybody gives him the knock, calling him a game manager. Doesn't have the size, doesn't have the frame. You know, I, I just like those underdog stories. So that's why I was rooting for him. But everything else on the 49ers teams is just overrated. You got Nick Bosa, Chase Young, Fred Warner, um, you name it, that defense. I mean, they almost lost to the Packers and the Lions. So how great are you really? You're paying all this money, and eventually it's going to catch up to you. So I don't see them lasting maybe one more year, two more years, but yeah, it, it, it sucks. I would have liked to see Brock Purdy get one, but hopefully he gets a nice little extension out of this and can actually afford a nice suit for himself. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? You talked about their window. I, I do think their 2024 window is still intact. They're about $40 million over the cap. You know, you can maneuver that. They're going to lose some pieces this year, and not, not necessarily key pieces, but they're going to lose some pieces. Brandon Ayuk is probably gone. Jennings is probably gone. Uh, and Jennings has been a big game player for four straight years now. But the big thing that I think the national media narrative is missing is that D'Amico Ryans was really the the life, blood, heart of this defense. Like Nick Bose is not the same. Chase Young wasn't as effective as expected. And you know, you look at what D'Amico Ryans did in Houston this year. He obviously was a very talented coordinator, a very talented head coach, and. You know, they're not the same defense without him, but we are not a football show Um, and we will never be a fantasy football show because I am done with that shit. But uh, (laughs) let's get into the news and notes on fantasy baseball and the fantasy baseball front for that Uh, big news today. Disappointing news. Junior Comanero likely to start the season in the minors, presumably triple A. This is disappointing for the dynasty drafts that I got him in and in our dynasty draft, our original league. What are your thoughts on the Rays keeping Junior down to start the year? I'm ecstatic for it in my redraft leagues because now I can get him outside the top 300, maybe top 250. If news would have broke that he was 
you know, break camp out of spring training, he'd be a top 100, top 150 pick. I'm not worried about it. I think he's up within the first week or two. You look at who they have at shortstop and third base. They have Jose Caballero at short listed and Isaac Paredes at third. I just don't see either of them being better than Junior Caminero. I think he's going down for some seasoning, but I fully anticipate him to be up and starting at least at a minimum at DH for the Rays come May. So I'm not worried whatsoever. Yeah, and I think this may be a Super 2 situation where the Rays look at him as most likely to be a player that falls in line with those thresholds of being awarded an extra year of arbitration and ultimately costing them millions and millions and millions more than they would have had to pay where they're willing to sacrifice that potential draft pick of being awarded if he had won Rookie of the Year. And uh, I think it all comes back to money. Uh, you know, seasoning, well, it's he, they brought him up. He didn't perform fantastic at the major league level, but I, you know, I, I think with enough plate appearances, he's going to be just fine. It just has to come down to money, is my perception of that. Well, if it comes down to money, why don't you just sign a long term extension before he's even up, like Jackson Churio, Colt Keith? I mean, I don't want to say Bobby Witt because he got big money, but. You sign them up before they prove themselves. I mean, they're getting minimal money. I don't know what Junior Caminero signed for initially, but I can guarantee you he's not making the greatest money. Dangle five, ten million a year in front of him. You can afford that. And if you believe like we believe, then it's fully worth it in my opinion. But I'm not yeah. running the Rays. Yeah, and organizationally, they they did that with Wander, and you know they presumably burned them as of right now. Um, yeah, but that's. That's so the few one off, and far between. Right? I mean, it'll be interesting. Um, what are way. the odds? What are the odds they have two of them in the same organization? Well, I mean, also though they they hadn't been known up to the Wander Franco deal to be an organization that does that in general, right? If mm-hmm. you look at the track record, it's David Price ship them off, Glasnow ship them off. That list continues and continues and continues. Evan Longoria, if I remember correctly, was the last player before Wando that they actually said, we are going to invest in you in your prime. He signed around the same time that Ryan Braun and Troy Tulowitzki signed their extensions with their clubs as well. Um, So it's, it's been a while and that leads us right into a news and note. We don't have listed, but we have to talk about Bobby Witt signing the extension. I was very interested with the opt outs in this extension uh, what were your thoughts on Bobby Witt's, you know, long-term extension as well as those opt-outs, if I remember correctly, year seven, eight, nine? Yeah, I think it's a player option for the last three of the five, and then the last two are team options, if I'm correct. Yep. Um, and I don't remember the money on top, but it escalates. So he's not making $27 million per year, but that's what it averages out to. I think it's great for both sides. I think Bobby Witt is well worth the money, you know, puts up 30 home runs, 49 stolen bases. He's arguably a top five fantasy pick this year in any format that you're playing in. So I think he's well worth the money. I'm a little surprised that they're giving him that much. I thought maybe he signs for 15, 20, but hey, good for him. Well, and my confusion, I guess, is just the fact that it's a almost foregone conclusion that he opts out as long as, you know, things don't drastically change. 
And at that point, why even sign him to a deal? Run out your arbitration years, you know, and come back to the the collective table and negotiate a deal. It doesn't really benefit either team here because if he chooses not to opt out, presumably would mean that he is, you know, underwhelming. And maybe the speed's completely fallen off. The power's dropped a little bit and the average has dropped a little bit. Is that type of player really worth that kind of money? I don't know. Uh, just a very confusing deal with the opt-outs, the way that they're they're put there in place, basically allowing him to enter free agency when he would have entered free agency, or a year after he would have entered free agency. Um, maybe maybe it's too you know I didn't dive into the de- uh, details too too much, but I was just surprised that those opt-outs were in place so early in the deal. But if everything plays out, he is a royal for the next six years. I do think that's fantastic for the organization, and they now have a window. You know, you need to start building this team for his year five and six of that deal to be a World Series contender. Otherwise, was this just to appease the fan base? You you know, you hate to see that as well. And you'd hate to see that for Whip because he deserves to be a contender. Yeah, I think I think they will. I mean, they were World Series contenders just a couple decades ago, not even 15 years ago, um, early teen, 20 teens. So. I think they will. They they got Kyle Wright. They got Cole Reagans. So hey, I'm, being facetious. Wright, I'm being facetious with Kyle Wright. I do hope he uh, gets healthy and has a bounce back season. But you are I'm you're not, completely I'm, forgetting about Michael Walker now. That's just disrespectful. Oh, and Seth Lugo. Don't Man, how Seth could you Lugo. forget those guys? <laughs> All right. Enough joking. All right. Uh, let's move on to the final really noteworthy news and note of the week. We have some fun ones, but this is this is a big one. Jackson Holiday um, being given the opportunity to play second base in spring training, being given the opportunity to break camp and presumably start for the Orioles. Big news, new ownerships in town. I think this is going to lead us into as well a massive long-term extension similar to Churio. Um, I don't want to say wit because that's just outrageous. Jackson hasn't proven at the major league level, but I do really believe that the Orioles' new ownership group is going to lock him in to be the cornerstone face of the franchise. Even having Rushman and um, Henderson on the, the big league club already, I think Holiday is the face. The opportunity to play second base is the news here for fi- for fantasy and for dynasty. If he sticks at second, this is a massive boost for a lot of fantasy managers that have held him, that drafted him as of, you know as of last year in the, the FYPD. And I think this is a huge win for second base in general. Yeah, I, the only caveat I'll say with him signing or hopefully signing with Baltimore is I don't think he does it. I think he wants to test the waters. I mean, he comes from Matt Holiday. He doesn't have money to worry about. So what's the point of him signing that extension unless he just really wants to stay in Baltimore? So I think they got to dangle some good money in front of him in order for him to do it. I'm curious as to who they have at shortstop and third. I'm assuming Gunnar Henderson's at third, unless they move him to short. But then what, Jordan Westberg plays third? So I'm curious how they go about the left side of that infield because I presumably thought Jackson Holiday would be their shortstop now with Jory Ortiz gone. But either way, I'm very hopeful that Jackson Holiday is there on opening day. And I think come draft season, like for our redraft leagues, Matt, I think he's easily a top 100, top 75 pick once it's all said and done. Yeah, and you know we can break that down as we get closer to the season because 
I think when you're talking redraft for Jackson Holiday, there are names I would prefer that I would expect similar outcomes from in his rookie year that will not be presumably top 200. Uh, Jorge Polanco is just a name that you know that comes to mind. I expect Holiday to have an amazing career, but I, I do expect his first maybe one or two seasons to have some growing pains because of the age. And because, we, as we've talked about, there's still a lot of development physically, mentally. Um, and, and redraft will be interesting to see how high his, you know, his stock rises just because of the hype. But awesome news in Dynasty. A couple more news and notes for us. We do, in fact, have a Kershaw signing. We had kind of alluded to this last week on the show. It happened back with the Dodgers. Timeline was we had talked about last week. You know, and you know, midsummer, end of summer, July, August return is what the Dodgers and Kershaw are expecting. So that's a good story. Um, Grand Dahl of the Pirates, which I did see very recently. I think it was last night. Henry Davis outlook is going to be interesting now. I, I expect this to kind of be a mentorship for Davis. Andy Rodriguez obviously out because of the injury all season, but one year, two point five million. Not a huge investment for Pittsburgh. Grandall from an offensive profile has really been struggling over the course of the last couple of years. But I do like the signing for the development of Davis, not as much for the playing time. Yeah, I think this ultimately hurts his ability to gain that catcher eligibility where he doesn't already have it. I do think he's going to get the playing time in the outfield. I think he's a fifth or sixth outfielder. And unless he gets gains that catcher eligibility, he's not really doing much for you unless you're in a really deeper league or a dynasty league. So if you're in redraft or shallow keeper leagues, he's not somebody I'm really paying that much attention to, at least for this year. Yeah. Uh, next on our list, Justin Bieber. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. Shane Bieber has gone to driveline baseball. This is kind of flying around Twitter right now. You kind of pushed it my way earlier in the week. And I'll let you kind of talk about this because there is some encouraging news coming out of his drive line, you know, appearance. Yeah. So his fastball was sitting around 91. I don't have the specific, I want to say like 91.3, 91.8, one of those um, numbers. And it's been steadily decreasing over the last couple of years. I jumped ship on Shane Bieber a couple of years ago, sold him off for Chris Bryant when he went to Colorado and Blake Snell the year after his Cy Young. That didn't work out for me. But, you know, Shane Bieber, when he was losing that velocity, he relied heavily on his control and pinpointing it on the edges. And he's been doing fantastic up until then. Now he goes to driveline, gets his fastball back up to 93.8, and all of the movement and characteristics on his curveball are back to elite numbers when he first was coming up. Do I think Shane Bieber is going to be the elite version we saw two, three years ago? Not necessarily, but I do think there is the possibility he can return to form. And I'm a little optimistic he can get back to top 30 starting pitcher. Um, I think the floor is top 50, and he's definitely worth a shot. But I need to see more and see how it goes for him in spring training just because he hit 93.8 in driveline. Is he going to be able to sustain that over the course of a full game and over the course of a full season that's yet to be seen? We'll have to see it this year. So I'm not necessarily out, but I'm not necessarily in, but it is an interesting thing to note for sure on Shane Bieber. Yes. Good news is, uh, is welcome on the Shane Bieber front. 
Padres have interest in Jaron Duran. You had put this in the notes. Um, what are you hearing? Is there a trade in the works? We know that the Padres have a better farm system than they have. What do you got? Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting, um, mostly because Jaron Duran, in my opinion, seems like a likely candidate to break out for the Red Sox, but they just shipped off Verdugo, so it didn't make too much sense that they'd be getting rid of Duran, but they also have Weiler Abreu. They have, I'm going to butcher his name, Sedania Rafaela. They also have Mashitake Yoshida. So they have the outfield pieces to cover him if he were to go. It'd be interesting what the Red Sox would get in return that would make them want to move on from Duran. And I just think it's interesting. It makes a ton of sense for the Padres. They just got rid of Trent Grisham. They don't have that much outfield depth. I like Jacob Marcy as a riser for prospects because the Padres have nobody in the outfield that's worth starting, whether it's MLB or fantasy. So if Duran goes to the Padres, I like that move a lot. If he stays with the Red Sox, I like that a lot. But I just am more curious what the Red Sox would get in return. But it's all rumors right now, so we'll have to wait and see what actually happens. Yeah, and I don't hate it. Uh, You know, we've talked about Duran a lot on the show and his – Stock has gone up and his stock has gone down. I think when you talk about that outfield and you talk about it long term, the reality is Roman Anthony is knocking on the door over the next couple of seasons to be their number one outfielder. Yoshida's in a long term deal. And you have some of these other players that you mentioned that have amazing gloves and facilitate their roles within that outfield. When you really look at Duran, there are concerns in his profile, not left and right, but to the point where he might ultimately be a fourth outfielder at his, you know, age 28 season. And I think if you can cash in that value right now and maybe bring in some more pitching depth or potentially bring in depth at a position that you do not have a, a strong organizational depth of move, move the trigger. You know, the Red Sox are not going to be world series contenders this year. Presumably as this pitching crop that they have continues to develop and rise with Roman Anthony, with Marcelo Meyer, you know, we're looking at a 2026 competitive team, probably, you know, essentially pushing those chips down the table if you can trade Duran right now. So I I don't hate it, but to your point, it it is a little confusing because they do have to play baseball in 2024. (laughs) Right. Uh, next on our list, Jonathan, Jonathan India signing a two-year extension for $8.8 million. This was to avoid arbitration. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be staying with the Reds, but uh, I mean, 4.4 a year, pretty reasonable. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm assuming some of that 8.8 is pushed into 2025, probably a bigger paycheck next year for India, but still question marks with that, that infield in Cincinnati. Yeah, I think the telling thing was that it was two years instead of just a one year to avoid arbitration. I think that's a move by the Reds to give India a little bit more appeal in trading him. It's You don't have to deal with arbitration with him, and you know exactly what his deal is going to be for the next two years. So you know exactly what you're getting. You know exactly what you're paying for the next two years out of Jonathan India. I think it's a low-key smart move by the Reds. So we'll see if they actually move him and what they move him for. Yeah. Last news and note of the day before we jump into your breakout pitchers for 2024. We have another injury slash surgery for Felix Bautista. 
From all reports, it's not to be overly concerned with. He did have a cleanup procedure on that elbow in which he had Tommy John surgery. I texted you this week and you know thought the sky was falling because I do own a <laughs> lot of him in startups. But after reading a little bit about it, this is just something that has to be done with, with certain Tommy John surgeries. And especially when you talk about Felix and the velocity that he brings and the torque that he generates, obviously there is concerns that this elbow, you know, will not hold up long-term, but you know, we are hoping that Tommy John brings him back, finishes out his career as a dominant reliever. What are your thoughts on the surgery and, and what are you projecting for 2025? I don't think we see him for 2025 with, with this news. I mean, Unless they so news came out, the Orioles came out and said they have full expectation he will be back for spring training 2025. Oh, I'm thinking 2024. Sorry, yep. sorry, you were asking 2025, correct? Yep. Um, yeah, I think he's a closer. Um, and I don't have much, I think he's gonna go right back into the top 10, top 15. I don't think he's gonna be drafted as a top three, top five reliever just because there is that coming back from injury concern. Does he have his velocity? Is he the same pitcher? That's always an unknown. But with Tommy John, it's likely that they do recover and get back to them themselves. I believe this was his first Tommy John, so not second or third. So that's encouraging. So, yeah, I mean, 2025 is a long way away, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and I think it was telling, too, from the organization when they gave Kimbrell the one-year deal, Trading DL Hall kind of takes that you know that safety net that they had away, and Cano is obviously being looked up as as the setup man. You know, otherwise they would have rotated him into that closer's role and not brought Kimbrel in. So I think the organization is telling us with the moves that they've made that Bautista is the guy when he gets back. And like you said, we have to wait and see. I think there's going to be immense value there in redrafts come next year because you don't have to pay top five upside. And the reality is if he comes back, he is number one, right? He is, he is the number one closer with that ability to have his K per nine where it was. Uh, it is disappointing that we will not see him in 2024, but that is the reality. Let us transition. Um, so you have a list today for us. We're going to be breaking down your 2024 breakout pitchers. Some of these guys did break out in 2023, but the reality is, they're not yet known as as we would like them to be. So you're going to touch on a number of names that we really like. A name on your list that I had to uh, kind of omit is Robbie Snelling. Uh, I just think his breakout Too was so hype. insane that we were, we were not going to disrespect Robbie Snelling by putting him on a 2024 breakout list. Running over Robbie's numbers from 2023, 11-3. They won 1.82 ERA in 22 total starts. Overall, 103.2 innings with 118 strikeouts and a whip of 1-1-2. Fantastic season for Robbie Snelling, a guy you and I really, really like. That was all done over the course of three levels. A ball, high A, double A, finished the season in double A, and finished the season in double A with an astounding 1.27 whip and a 1.56 ERA. Richie, tell me everything you love about Robbie Snelling. I love Robbie Snelling for the pedigree. I love him for his walk to strikeout rate, you know, 118 strikeouts and 103 innings. Love to see that. 
34 walks. That's fantastic. The only knock I'll have on him is I think he started to run out of gas a little bit at the end. He did have 10 walks in those 17 and a third innings as soon as he went to double A, but he still is able to put up a 1.56 ERA and a 1.27 whip, as you mentioned. So even though he was walking guys, he was still dominating. So even though it is, I don't want to say red flag, but it is a caution sign that, hey, he doesn't have the arm built up to endure long outings. I, I don't see him pitching more than 120, 130 max in the year between the majors and minors. But I do fully believe the stuff is legit. And I think he is a top tier prospect with ace upside. It's interesting in most of the dynasty drafts that I did, he is kind of being valued where he should be, where you and I value him in that painter Joe Horton range. Mm -hmm. And he's, I think in my most recent draft on CBS, he actually was the first of all of those names taken, which was pretty shocking to me. Interesting. And in a couple other drafts, absolutely nobody knows about him. So there's a wide variety right now, but I would say the consensus is people are on board. And I think Job is the, the easy comp here because they're both high school arms but they're also both very different pitchers. Snelling isn't leaning on as, as much of the velocity and the power that Job is. He is leaning on more of the craft, more of the ability to pitch, to utilize that changeup. And I'm very fascinated to see which one of these pitchers actually ascends to that ace level first. I have a feeling it will be Snelling, but I do believe Job's floor, uh, ceiling is higher. Yeah, I, I think I like Job a little bit more than Robbie Snelling. And I think Job has the pedigree. I think what he went third or he went top five in whatever draft he was in. I don't have it in front of me, but yeah, Job comes with the pedigree. He's his issue is just health and staying healthy. But I think as he gets older, gets builds into that frame of his, I think, I think we could see Job in the next year or two. I don't know if he necessarily comes up this year. Well, and you know, just kind of forecasting, the, uh, the future of what we saw in this 2023 draft Snelling was 39th overall. I, if I'm correct. And I remember Thomas white was right around there as well. Also mm -hmm. another lefty. So they're still taking it a really high draft value slot. I'm also interested to see if we see white come out of the gates and at least give us 70, 80% of what Robbie Snelling did, because then we will be talking about white in the same vein next year. But Robbie Snelling, definitely a fantastic 2023. Looking for that to continue in 2024. But let's go ahead and break into your breakouts. Kicking mm -hmm. off your list, it looks like is Dylan Lesko for the San Diego Padres. What do you have on Dylan Lesko? Yeah, I like, first, I like how you tiered them out for me um, based on what their upside is. For the most part, I actually agree with how you tiered them out. So the first two I have here, you have tiered as potential aces. But Dylan Lesko, I liked coming out of the draft in 2022. He went 15th overall, but I think he would have went higher. He didn't end up having Tommy John surgery out of high school, but he had a 0 .35, 0 0.35 ERA with 112 strikeouts and 60 innings in high school. I mean, that's just absurd numbers. He was able to touch 97. He's only 20 years old. And I think people are sleeping on him just because he didn't have the greatest pro, pro debut last year. He did go from rookie ball all the way to high A, but overall had a 5.45 ERA in 12 games. 
only pitched 33 innings, 22 walks in those 33 innings, and 52 strikeouts. So the walk rate is kind of high, 1.55 whip. You don't like to see that, but he did show the ability to strike people out. He gets phenomenal grades on his pitches, a 60-grade fastball, 70-grade changeup. That doesn't come around often, and an above-average curveball at 55. He is known for his control. I'm chalking that up to he's coming back from Tommy John. He's a young kid. He's dealing with the pressure of trying to perform. I think he's going to have a much better season, and I think he's going to rise up the rankings. He's already listed as top 100 pitcher uh, on some sites just because of that pedigree, and I think once the numbers start showing up, he's going to skyrocket up into top 10, top 20 prospect um, rankings across the industry. Yeah, I like everything you said. Um, and I'm going to go on a limb. I agree he's going to have a good season. And for those of you listening, sell, 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 sell. That's my opinion. Not right now. Wait for the breakout to come and then sell him. Um, I just do not think he's going to ever reach his ceiling. The control force Whitley. Uh, no, that's, that's harsh. That's harsh. Um, I, I'm just concerned about the Tommy John at such a young age. And I know that there are other profiles that have had the same thing. And I get that. And I understand that, you know, coming back, there's always control, um, issues. I just have this odd feeling that Robbie Snelling is being pushed back in their organizational ranks for Dylan Lesko so much that it concerns me. So I own Lesko in a few leagues. I will absolutely be looking to trade him probably for a job. I will probably try and pair a Lesko and a secondary, you know, B-chip prospect for for someone like Job or even an Andrew Painter who also had Tommy John. Uh, just because I want a little bit more of that that secondary plus plus. But Lesko is really nice. I just feel like the industry is very, very, very bullish on him, and I have not personally seen enough yet. But in regards to 2024 breakouts, I don't know if there is a better name. Yeah, and I definitely think this will be the year that he breaks out. I mean, he can't really do much worse than what he already did, in my opinion. So, I mean, he he's going to have at least sleeper appeal in some format of a prospect. But I think he truly is going to break out. Next name is a guy I like a lot and I think will be an interesting case study against Lesko uh, in their careers. And that's Brock Porter, the Texas Rangers, a player that fell in the draft, a player that you had been watching and you had been talking about in our group chat as a guy that you really liked. So tell us a little bit about Brock Porter. Yeah, Brock Porter was somebody I liked a lot coming out of the 2022 draft. In my opinion, he was the top-ranked um, pitcher. Um, pulling it up now, he was ranked 11th overall by MLB Pipeline. He ultimately fell to the fourth round, 109th overall. Due to signability concerns, he did have a commitment to, um, I don't have it here, so, um, but either way, he fell, ended up signing for over $3 million in the fourth round, which I believe was a record. He's got big stuff, 70-grade fastball, 55 slider, 60-grade changeup, 50-grade curveball. Um, his control's a little lower at 50, um, and that shows in, the, in his debut he ultimately went 69 in a third inning, so not that much, but threw up 95 strikeouts. Love to see that. 42 walks, I don't like that at all. He needs to bring that down, but still is able to put up a 2.47 ERA and a 117 whip. 
I'd like to see him get to 100 innings this next year, bring that walk weight, walk rate down, and increase those strikeouts. And I think we're looking at a potential ace here. Yeah. And I, I do. I think I think Porter and Lesko are our ace potentials within this group that we're going to talk about today because of the velocity, because of that, you know, that plus secondary pitch that they both have, but they both have control issues and they're both young still. So, you know, we, we have to give them that. We saw Job's breakout out of absolutely nowhere this season. We knew that it was within the realm of possibilities. We just didn't know, you know, when it, that was going to happen. And that's why we are profiling both Dylan Lesko and Brock Porter right now, because they should have similar breakouts this year if they can find that control. Now, Job's control is pretty ridiculous. Um, I don't know that we would expect for either of them to have such dominating walk numbers that Job did, but definitely a range of outcome is ace for both of these players. Next here we have and next name we have is someone we're both very excited about. Um, you know, you got a little attention this week on Twitter. A few people agreed with you and, and highlighted um, that's going to be as you're editing our page, Christian Scott for the New York Metropolitans. I had him as Connor Scott. So thank you for changing that. I don't think I would have caught myself. Big name that we like. You could. <laughs> yeah, it was I, as you were changing it. I was trying to think, OK, if it's not Connor, it's Christian. Yeah. Um, go ahead and break down Christian Scott for me, what you think ultimately long term he can be and what you saw from him in 2023. Yeah, Christian Scott, I like a lot. I I put a tweet out earlier this week, as you mentioned, and I compared him to George Kirby. Now, do I think uh, Christian Scott's going to be George Kirby? Absolutely not. Nobody's going to be George Kirby. George Kirby has the best command in all of Major League Baseball. I will fight you on that. Um, but Christian Scott reminded me a lot of George Kirby on what he was doing when he was in the minors. So when we compare, Christian Scott had a 30% strikeout rate, um, a 4.4 walk rate, and a 25.6 K minus BB percentage. Now we compare that to George Kirby in his 2021 season at single A. He had a 31.7% K rate. Now I just mentioned 30 for Christian Scott, a 4.4 walk rate, same as Scott, and a 26.8% K minus BB walk almost identical to what Christian Scott did. The following year, George Kirby made his debut for 2022. And if you're not familiar with K-BB and strikeout rate, walk rate, Blake Snell, who we all know won the Cy Young last year, he has phenomenal strikeout rates, but he's got a horrible walk rate. So he's got 31.5 strikeout rate, 13.3 walk rate, so that's very high. And it ultimately comes to an 18.2% K-BB for Blake Snell last year. So elite, I would say, is anything higher than 25. And anything between 20 and 25, you're looking as pretty good to average. So the fact that Christian Scott has a 25.6 K minus BB shows that he has an elite um, arsenal and he's got the command. And I love command pitchers. You know, I, I've been telling you that. Um, I don't want to compare him to Kirby. Kirby's got a fastball that I believe can touch 99, 100. Scott's fastball sits between 93 and 96. But ultimately, I think he's got a chance to crack this New York Mets rotation, trying to pull up their projected roster right now. Their lineup is Kodai Senga, Jose Quintana, Luis Severino, Sean Manaya, Adrian Hauser. So you're telling me he can't beat out Jose Quintana, Manaya, or Hauser? I fully expect Christian Scott to 
debut at some point this year, and I will be trying to get as many shares of him as I can. Yeah, and you know, you talked about Snell's numbers, and and this is how the angle really fits in for points leagues, roto leagues, category leagues. You know, Snell is a guy that you lean on for strikeouts, and you hope to God the home runs can be minimized so that ERA doesn't balloon because you know the whip is automatically going to be higher. And then in points leagues, yeah, he may go out and strike out 12 batters, but if he walks four to six, you know, you're negatively impacted in almost all formats of points because walks are a negative deterrence. So that's why Kirby has so much value. It's the ratios, not only in roto and categories, but also in points because he is minimizing those walks. Christian Scott, well, you you know, profiled him may not be that upside of George Kirby, a number one. You know, I think Kirby at this point would be considered an ace, probably not the Garrett Cole type ace, but I think as time goes on, we will probably view his profile as an ace nonetheless. And I think Christian Scott has great SP2 upside. I think there is a ceiling of an SP1. I am not projecting him to hit that, but he could. That's where the control plays in. And you know, anytime you can get a fringe SP1, you know, solid SP2, you jump all over that. And, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about my most recent drafts. Names were absolutely flying off my top 250 prospect depth chart at the starting pitching position. And I was still able to get Scott. I mean, J.R. Ritchie for the for Atlanta Braves was taken before Scott. And I like Ritchie a lot, but he hasn't proven anything. And he's coming off Tommy John. Scott's numbers last year, as you had you know, overlaid with Kirby's, are fantastic. I think people are really sleeping on Christian Scott. This is probably the name out of all the guys that we have listed today that you're really high on that I am also very, very high on. I feel like I sold you on him a little bit, but I'm here for it. Well, we I think we broke him down when we did the Mets organization breakdown. Yeah, he was a, he was a riser for me. You know, it was Vassal. Um, there's there's another name in the organization that I'm I'm also Tidwell. rostering. Tidwell. Tidwell and, I think. and Scott is to me the clear number one in that organization. Would you agree? He'd be up there. I I've got a lot of love for Blade Tidwell. Um so it's gonna be hard for me. I think Tidwell's stuff is better than Scott's, but Scott's got that command, so yeah. I think the floor is higher for Scott. I think the ceiling is higher for Tidwell. It's just a matter of where do they ultimately land once they reach the majors? And I think the jury's still out on that one. So yep. it's one A, one B for me. And okay. yeah, it's it's a tough one. All right. Well, we could debate that all day. Moving on to our next name, Chase Petty for the Cincinnati Reds. We've talked about Chase Petty a few times this year, again with our organizational breakdowns. Petty coming over from Minnesota in a trade just a few years ago. Drafted as a high-velocity pitcher, coming into the league, being molded more into a command uh, 90, 91, 92-mile-an-hour pitcher, really reserving himself, really changing his profile. has put really nice numbers for Cincinnati. What are you seeing from Chase Petty? What do you like? Yeah, I was trying to find it before we recorded, but um, there's something going around on Twitter maybe a month or two ago that Chase Petty was able to hit 98, 99 again, and we knew it was in his repertoire, but it's just a matter of is he actually going to hit that once he gets to those higher velocities, he loses command and control. And we talked about this on previous podcasts that maybe he's dialing it back so he can actually command the strike zone and 
is it one of those things where did he lose the velocity or is he actually just holding back a little bit so he can control that strike zone? I was encouraged to see that he still has it in him and I'm hopeful that he's gained some control with that added velocity back. You know, he's got the pedigree as a 26th overall draft pick out of 2021. He had a phenomenal season last year between high and double A, a 1.72 ERA in 18 games, 68 innings, 66 strikeouts, 15 walks. So the strikeouts aren't quite there for what you'd expect out of somebody who has a number two upside, but he's got the walk rate. He's got it in him. I expect a big season out of him. I think he could reach the majors if and only if the Reds don't go and trade for a pitcher. You look at the projected um, rotation. They've got Hunter Green, Graham Ashcraft, Frankie Montas, Andrew Abbott, and Nick Martinez. I think he could outbeat Nick Martinez and Graham Ashcraft if everything clicks for him. And an ascension similar to Andrew Abbott and what he did last year isn't out of scope for Chase Petty. So I like what I'm seeing from him. Um, He's probably one of the least confident breakouts I have on this list, but he is one nonetheless, and I will be having a close eye on him this year. A tweet from uh, one John Anderson. John, if you're listening, awesome. No idea. Just kind of scrolling on the Chase Petty Twitter uh, wheel here. League-adjusted minor league ERAs for 2023 qualify at least double a and made 10 plus starts Robbie Snelling comes in at number one with a 1.89 adjusted ERA Chase Petty number two with a 1.91 Landon Knack we have spoken about a lot comes in at number three and then names I have absolutely never heard of other than Josh Stevenson for Texas who is a name we will talk about maybe next week Um, but yeah absolutely love Petty I think worst case scenario here you're probably getting a high leverage reliever the frame is a little bit of a concern, but he has the pedigree. So, you know, we have to give him time and he's performed very, very well. Um, I, I do think there is ace upside. It's just enough concerns for me to question what exactly is the profile we are getting with Mr. Petty. And, and that's kind of why he falls in this SP2 range that we have before we move on to our SP3s. Yeah, but, yeah, I completely agree. Let's break into the SP3s. Uh, leading off with one Mason Black for the San Francisco Giants, guy that we kind of started to kick the rocks around late in the year. Um, you know, I added him. I think I traded him or dropped him or you got him and then you traded him or you dropped him. He's kind of one going of around. Said, yeah. And uh, give us a little bit of background on Mason Black. Yeah, he's a, a little bit lower in the prospect rankings. Doesn't come with the pedigree. He was ultimately drafted 85th overall in the third round in 2021. He does have an above-average fastball and slider combo, um, both getting 60 grades by MLB Pipeline. That's pretty much all he has. He has a a way below average uh, changeup. He's got okay control, but I think he's going to break out just because he's put solid numbers up um, from AA to AAA, ultimately a 3.71 ERA, but... He showed the steadiness, 123 and two-thirds innings, 155 strikeouts, 52 walks. So he's got everything you like. 1.21 whip. I'd love to see that closer to 1-1, but I'm not going to argue with the results. And ultimately, I think he's going to break out because, I mean, you look at what the San Francisco Giants do with their pitching. They're one of these organizations that just develops great pitchers, 
we always talk about Alex Wood, Alex Cobb. You know, they have down seasons. They go to San Francisco, and everybody's excited that they're going to have a rejuvenated career because the San Francisco Giants are going to fix them. And then you look at, and I think we talked about this last week or two weeks ago, you look at the rotation. Outside of Logan Webb, Kyle Harrison, who do they have? Jordan Hicks, okay, he's a reliever. Keaton Wynn, Tristan Beck, they're nobodies. Robbie Ray's out for half the season. So the opening is there for Mason Black. The other one I thought about was Carson Wisenhunt, but he's coming back from that forearm strain. He's got that elite changeup. I'm just hesitant, and I can't have Wisenhunt as my breakout because I'm worried about that. And Mason Black is the guy for me. I love me some Mason Black. Well, I think he provides the most stable value for dynasty draft and startups right now, or even trade acquisitions because Wisenhunt has a, a higher ceiling in the prospect world right now because there is higher upside uh, with the strikeouts for Wisenhunt. But I think Black, as you had kind of alluded to, has everything we're looking for for a guy that's going to give you solid appearances. And I think in that ballpark, you know, we always love our pitchers being in San Francisco. That is only going to help his cause. I think, as you mentioned, there is opportunity there, which I think we've talked about for about two weeks now with that rotation as it currently sits. And Mason Black, I think, will probably be in that rotation by the end of May at the absolute latest by June, unless we see some serious regression. But he's definitely a guy that I think will be a solid SP4 in your fantasy rotations, if not an SP5, who's probably getting set around a 3-5, a 3-3 ERA, probably either a strikeout per nine or a little bit less. And you're going to be looking for a guy that really helps your win totals as well as getting you quality starts. Those are really, really valuable pieces in fantasy baseball. Yeah, I'm... The only thing I'll say about Mason Black that I don't like is that he basically is a two-pitch pitcher with that fastball slider, and the changeup is pretty much just going to be a show-me pitch. But it's worked for others in the past. It's just not elite. So I think he is a number three or four. But, hey, I still think he can break out, and I still think he can crack the MLB roster at some point during the season. I think he will be a useful add for you at some point during the season. Yeah, absolutely. Deeper, deeper, deeper redraft leagues. He's a guy that you might want to grab at the end just so that you have that rotational depth. Um, Because again, I do think he sees the Giants organization this year. Next name, staying in the Bay Area. And, you know, maybe just for a short time. That's Luis Morales of the current Oakland A's, possibly future Vegas A's. Who knows? What do you have on Luis Morales for us, Richie? Yeah, Luis Morales, He, we talk about the last year's international signings, Ethan Salas, Feldman Celestis, Yoandri Vargas, Alfredo Duno, the list goes on and on. We love this last year's class, and everybody's so hyped on Ethan Salas making it to AA, and he's so young doing this and that. Luis Morales was ranked number five in this year's international class. He actually rose more levels than Ethan Salas did, two different rookie levels, then um, low A, and then ultimately finishing in high A. I think the reason Ethan Salas gets more hype is because of his age. Luis Morales is 21 compared to Ethan Salas, who I think is 18, or is he 17? I don't have it off the top of my head. But you look at what Morales did, combining everything, a 2.86 ERA in 14 games, 
44 innings, 53 strikeouts, 15 walks, a 1.09 whip. I love everything I'm seeing out of him. He's showing me, I don't want to say ace potential, but he's got the repertoire. Everything is average or above average on his fastball, curveball, slider, changeup, control. It's all there. He's got the makings of potentially being a number two, I would say, at his ceiling. I don't ever see him maybe becoming an ace, but I could be wrong. He has clocked in at 99 miles an hour with his fastball, so he doesn't quite hit that 100-mile-an-hour threshold that I love to see. But he does have a six foot three frame, only 190 pounds. So I'd like to see my pitchers in the 200 range, but he's still young. He still can add some weight onto that frame. But I like overall what I see from Luis Morales. Yeah, and you know, you have an organization that has Medina as well. Medina has a similar concerns, but a, a bigger concern with control. I think there is a few bright pieces within the A's organization right now that could become very exciting as well as having Mason Miller in the, in the back of that bullpen now. Morales being one of the first names that we've really gotten excited about from their prospect development in the last few years. And a big breakout in 2024 could lead to, you know, maybe a late season promotion, highly doubtful, but, you know, a 2025 ETA as they start to usher in the new era of that organization. And I think also a guy right now where there are some question marks still on, well, that price tag isn't as high as it will be as we get into 2024. So a great name on this list. Uh, we have two names left. I am actually going to let you highlight these guys because I'm just going to butcher their names. So go ahead and break down tier four for us, Richie. Yeah, so I got Spencer Schwellenbach on here for the Atlanta Braves. He was a second round um, 2021 draft pick for the Atlanta Braves, 59th overall. He's got an above-average fastball slider coming in at 60, a changeup that's above grade with uh, 55 and great control. He ultimately was a shortstop in high school, converted to a pitcher um, throughout college, was mostly a reliever, but then was started to get stretched out as a starter. He can hit 99, and his uh, secondary offerings are in the mid-80s. So they got great feel for him. He does have a little bit of reliever risk, but so far as a starter in his pro debut, he's looked great. He uh, pulling it up here. It's not loading for me. Okay, so last year he had 65 innings, 16 games all started, 2.49 ERA, 55 strikeouts, 16 walks. So the strikeout rate is a little bit lower than what you like to see, but I feel the upside Atlanta Braves, also an organization that does great with pitching prospects. And I just mentioned a little bit earlier, he was ultimately a shortstop converted pitcher. So I think he can, he's still developing. He's still relatively new to pitching in the last three, four years I give him. So it's not like he was growing up in middle school, high school, learning how to pitch, learning how to do these secondaries. Look at Cade Horton. We had our concerns about him converting from a batter to a pitcher and look what he's doing do i think spencer schwellenbach will be the next kate horton no but i think he's better than what his results show and i have full faith in what the atlanta braves do with their pitchers yes and i think that's the biggest reason you know we are adding some of these players to the list as we've gone through these years is just organizational trust and that kind of leads us right into our final breakout for you for 2024 Dodgers did sign with international pool money. 
again, help me out here, Richie. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to pronounce it properly. I, I don't even know if I'm going to say this one right, but Hun Sok Jang. Hun Soik Jang. Okay. H Y U N hyphen S E O K Jang. <laughs> For the Los Angeles Dodgers, he's a 19 year old, six foot four, 200 pounds. Great. Um, pedigree he's got a 60 grade fastball 60 grade curve 60 grade slider 50 grade change in control he was projected to go number one overall in korea baseball's draft before he ultimately decided to go and sign with the dodgers he's already reaching 97 as a 19 year old he's got great spin and um, a feel for his secondaries and once again it goes back to the dodgers another organization that develops these pitchers and Jang, I'm excited to see what he does. Hopefully he can make it stateside. It it looks like they're going to put him in DSL to start according to what MLB pipeline has, but this is somebody who could take off and I could see all of Twitter just exploding as soon as they start seeing this kid. Yeah. And it's exciting because, you know, we talked about Morales just a minute ago. Not often are we talking about these international pitchers as of late, being names to watch right off the bat. And I think, you know, with everything we've detailed with the Dodgers organizational depth at pitching with what they have this season, this is a name that we can really look forward to as a younger arm in the organization, as well as Jackson Ferris, where they have some guys kind of projecting on that 2027 trail now, 2026 at the absolute earliest. And, you know, these are the next, this is the next wave. And names to be really excited about. And I I think when you're talking about acquiring the number one overall pick in any league, there's enough upside there to get excited about. It would have been interesting to see if we could have had any numbers from him from professional ball in other countries. But we will just have to wait and see where he's placed this year, how that performance goes. Um, But a great list from you today. I, I liked all the names you listed. A couple of them, you know, I like a little bit more than others, but I think all of these guys are absolutely worthy of trade conversations in your dynasty leagues and if you haven't drafted yet guys that you definitely want to put in that queue think about drafting um christian scott like we talked probably can get him a little bit later than others and depending depending on the dynasty league and the depth you could probably just pick these guys up like jang i think in our um 15 team dynasty league that we were in together matt with 60 roster spots i picked up schwellenbach yep uh, I think, or is it the other? I'm going to mix up now. But either way, I picked him up after the draft. And Jang, I don't, he might even still be out there. I haven't even checked. So um, I'll race you to the waiver wire on that one. But well, those, and- those lower level guys that don't come with any of the pedigree and they're completely unknowns because of their background or the lack of statistics, you could probably go get them right now. Just double check, take a look. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, all right. Well, to wrap the show, we are going to do as we have for the last few weeks. We're going to jump into some college names. We are back to college bats today, kind of going through the overall uh, prospect lists, kind of just going with best available. We have worked our way through the upper echelon of pitchers and hitters, and we are kind of falling into the bottom of the, I'd say, the top 10, top 15 tiers here for the college players. First on our list today is Vance Honeycutt, outfielder. Draft age will be 21. 
Uh, size and frame, 6'3", 205. He throws right-handed. He bats right-handed. He is from North Carolina. Scouting grades on him. Hit of a 45. Power, 60. Run, 65. Arm, 60. Field, 65. So we have a very, very talented athlete on our hands. That hit tool at 45 is highlighted in what I am about to share next. So in his 2022 campaign, age 19, 64 games, 25 home runs, 29 stolen bases, 90 strikeouts to 41 walks. That is concerning with a 296 batting average. So, you know, projecting him freshman year, you saw the power, you saw the speed, um, you know, really needed to get that strikeout rate under control. And that average was, it was okay for college. Uh, coming into the 2023 campaign, he played in 50 games. So 14 less games in 23 is 22 had 12 home runs in comparison to his 25, 19 stolen bases in comparison to his 29, had 51 strikeouts to 49 walks. So that is the highlight that we're going to be looking at at 2023. But that batting average did drop 40 points at 257 for two, uh, for 2023 in comparison to the 296 in 22. So, Richie, I threw a lot of numbers out there. You know, we've talked about Vance Honeycutt on and off. I think our opinions of him are the same. What are your thoughts? Yeah, he ultimately gets rated number sixth overall by Baseball America and MLB Pipeline on overall prospects. And I think it's mostly because of his defensive grades. I think he's going to get drafted. Um as an overall top five or not top five, uh, five tool player, he can do a little bit of everything. He's got the power, he's got the speed. And I think a lot of the scouts are encouraged by him cutting his 30% strikeout rate down to a manageable 20% from his freshman to sophomore season. 2024 is going to be a big telling sign for Vance Honeycutt. And if he can improve the, that hit tool of his, and if he can continue to keep that strikeout rate low, this is probably the most volatile player in the top 10 projected. I could see him if he breaks out and hits 300, 350 while keeping a 15 to 20% strikeout rate. I could see him being talked in the likes of Weatherholt, Kurtz, Bazana, Caglione in that tier. But if he doesn't and he stays at 250, I think it was 257 you mentioned as his hit tool and he you know, rises 25, 30% strikeout rate. I could see him falling to the back end of the first round, maybe early second, maybe even worse, depending on how these MLB organizations feel about his hit tool. So a lot of variance to come with Vance Honeycutt. Yeah, and you mentioned it. It's a defense. He's a center fielder, you know, plus-plus athlete. You're willing to take a risk on a guy like that, but that 257, it's, it's very concerning. Um, you're right, 2024 – College and collegiate season will be really important for him. And I, I hope he can really come out and have a Brock Wilkin-esque season where we see yet again a step forward. And then, like you said, the question will be, are you willing to take the risk on a one-year breakout in comparison to the Weatherholts and the Bazanas because of that center field defense and the importance that is put on that? Uh, interesting profile to watch and, mo and monitor as we continue to talk about college baseball this season. A guy we will continue to document for you with the listeners but the next name we love we're very excited for his 2024 campaign very very entertaining player that is tommy white or tommy tanks for you that watch lsu baseball tommy white third base first base prospect 
draft age will be 21. Uh, six foot one, 228. He's already a big boy. He is a righty, both throwing and hitting. Again, from LSU, scouting grades have him at a 55 hit, a 60 power, a 30 run. Do not expect stolen bases from Mr. Tommy Tanks. 50 arm, 40 field. And Tommy, since getting to college baseball, has done nothing but hit. Um, 2022 played at NC State. 55 games, 27 home runs, 50 strikeouts, 23 walks, batted 362 with a OPS over 1,100. Almost replicated those numbers at LSU in 2023. 66 games, had 24 home runs, had 105 RBIs. That's just ridiculous. Um, not that that's a number that we you know really like to use as a metric, but that's that's ridiculous. And coming in with a 374 batting average, did lower his strikeout rate, even though he played in 11 more games, 41 strikeouts in 23 in comparison to his 50 and 22 walked exactly the same amount of time. Um, we love Tommy. What are your thoughts and what do you think of his projectable major league career? Yeah, I love me some Tommy White. I'm not too proud to say um, that I was a little ignorant when it comes to college baseball last year. Him and uh, Tommy Tanks and Dylan Cruz last year were an amazing one-two punch for LSU. And everybody's talking about Dylan Cruz and he's going to go first overall. And I'm over here like, why is nobody talking about Tommy White? Why isn't he going to be projected to go in the top? And I didn't realize that he was a sophomore and wasn't mm -hmm. um, draft eligible. And I was just like, I like this Tommy White guy more than I like Dylan Cruz. What are you guys talking about? I like his energy. I like everything about him. Big power hitter. Um, and turns out he wasn't draft eligible. So I do like me some Tommy White. He's ranked 10th overall by Baseball America, number 7th by MLB Pipeline. Now you have to take into account that they are ranking them as overall players. He doesn't have the greatest defense, not the greatest arm to play third base. I think ultimately he's going to become a first baseman slash DH um, because of that. I mean, maybe if there's a team out there that has a bigger need at third base, he can suffice. But I think that's ultimately where he lands. I was ecstatic to get him in one of our dynasty leagues. I was surprised you didn't snipe him on me, snipe me on him. Um, so thank you for that one in our um, Roto Dynasty League that we're in together. But, um, oh, yeah, overall, I like Tommy Tommy White. I think he's got 40 homer potential, um, and I don't say that lightly because I, it's very hard to hit 40 homers, but I think he can do it. I'm not too concerned about the strikeout rate. I think whichever organization he goes to is going to tell him to tone it back a little bit. He's got more than enough power to get it over the fences. Just pick and choose when and where you swing the bat. And I think he's going to excel, especially for fantasy baseball. Well, I couldn't have Nick Kurtz and Tommy White. That just wouldn't be fair. So I made that conscious effort in that draft to say, you know what? You can have, I can have you can have yeah. Tommy Tanks. That's right. Uh, yeah, well, I love thank everything. You. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, I love Tommy White and love the energy. I think that was probably the best thing you said because it's not a metric that we're oftentimes looking at within fantasy baseball, a very data-driven hobby. But Tommy White has the energy, but he also has the collegiate playoff experience. And for me, that's really important because I'm going to tend to believe that in the big moments, he is going to provide. He is going to lean on that experience he had with LSU in 2023 and presumably coming into 2024 and making a similar run into the college baseball world series. 
That is something I really, really like. We saw the 105 RBIs. Well, that's not a metric that we often look at from college players or even prospects. It's important because he is showing that he is able to deliver in the big moment. And we saw that in the College World Series. So Tommy White, while he is just a first base DH prospect long term, um, I think there's a lot of value here. And I think with what we're looking at as a first year player draft coming up this coming offseason, everyone's going to be talking about Nick Kurtz. But Tommy White isn't that far off. And I think what we can project for both players and you can probably move your way up into the top five or even the top six and get Tommy White. And it's not going to be the same cost that trading into that top two to get Kurtz is going to be. So I think White is really the last name that we were going to highlight that had really big time um, explosive numbers available from college that we're looking at right now. You know, again, names will continue to funnel in as the season kicks off. And that kind of leads us to our last name we're going to talk about today. That's Braden Montgomery, outfielder and right-handed pitcher. He is transferring over to Stanford. His draft age will be 21. He stands at 6'2", 217. He's a switch hitter, throws from the right side. Formerly, oh, excuse me, he is transferring to Texas A&M from Stanford. Um, so at Stanford in 2022, 62 games at the plate, 18 home runs, batted 294, 73 strikeouts to 18 walks. Definitely showed a volatile profile as a freshman. Coming into his sophomore year, 64 games at the plate, 17 home runs. Cut that uh, strikeout to walk rate down quite a bit. 64 strikeouts to 51 walks. Hit 336. So really kind of changing his profile. Um, and then I do not have his pitching numbers in front of us because it is kind of consensus that he is going to be a hitter when drafted. Looking that he will probably abandon the, the, the pitching. Um, power grades come in at a 50 hit. 55 power, 50 run, 70 arm, obviously being a pitcher, and then 50 field. The reason he's on the list, because I think we talked about Honeycutt being a wild card within the top 5, 10. I think Montgomery is a guy that could go anywhere from 8 to 100. And this 2024 campaign is really going to decide where that draft stock falls, but from a power perspective, I think this kid can really grow into a, a much better grade than that 55 power. We're starting to already see development like we had from Honeycutt with that walk to strikeout rate kind of coming back to a neutral level. What are your thoughts on Montgomery's 2024 campaign? Yeah, I think it's going to be a big year for him. It looks like he's a way better hitter uh, from the left side than he is from the right side. So I'm curious to see if he continues to switch hit or if he's going to just commit to being a lefty hitter. I, you know, if he's borderline here, I mean, he's got the batting average, so maybe he keeps it up with it, but it sounds like he's got way more power from that left side. So I'd like to see that to see the full potential in him. Um, maybe he needs to abandon being a pitcher as well, but Hey, in college, if you need both, they're going to use you as both. So yeah, I don't have much more on Braden Montgomery. I wish I did, but this is going to be a big year for him, and it'll be very telling to see where his draft stock lies with what he does. Well, and, you know, these these next few names that we list as we continue this will continue to be names that we have less and less on, but as the season starts to play itself out, we'll be able to monitor 
and, and kind of give you the listener updates on on the profiles that we have in fact you know given out and i think this transfer to texas a&m gives us gives us an opportunity to see also a competitive field um you know coming from stanford still a, a competitive conference but really going to be breaking into some of these names where they are they're going to fluctuate they could be top 10 picks or they they could fall all the way to the third fourth round and be guys that organizations are just taking for depth uh, but montgomery i am excited about i think there is big time power in his profile it's just again can he figure it out so i think that is all we have for you today did you want to add anything before we wrap it up no just make sure you like and listen and subscribe to us so that you don't ever miss one of our episodes and when we release them Yes, that's right. And uh, continue to check oh, the social. We're going to have some fun clips. Richie nailed down some nice ones today on some of the college um, profiles that we've done. So we'll release those this week. Yeah, and make sure you guys follow us on X, Fantasy Baseball Buds. You can follow me at BrewersFan91. Matt, you want to go ahead? Matt, Matthew underscore E underscore Morris. Are we calling it X now? Is that is that what we're doing? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't I'm, know when I'm this cool transition. With, I'm cool with X. Well, I, mean, I just don't like the fact that when I type in X, my computer and my phone is confused because. Oh God, it's not. This is a PG that. show, Matt. <laughs> yes, it it auto fills. Um, yes, Matt underscore E underscore Morris on X. Follow us. You know, see our <laughs> see our opinions, and uh, we will catch you guys next week. Thank you. Love me, love me.